Now, we have been in a series over the past few weeks, really all summer, called Foundations. And I, I, the Lord told me to do it. But I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really excited about, about the next couple of months because this series has been more of a teaching series. And I really don't consider myself to be a teacher. I consider myself to be a preacher. So the last few weeks, I felt like I've been teaching, and I'm going to be teaching this morning because this is important what I'm teaching this morning. But I'm excited because I get to preach again soon. And I like to preach. I like to get fired up. I like to just go for it. So I encourage you to, to keep coming, to keep being faithful because God's going to move. God's going to move y'all. 34 families are coming to get blessed and touched by the presence of God next weekend. Right? 34. Y'all, I, I, I've been praying for these families. I don't know them all by name. I don't know, but I know, and I've been praying that if there's a family that's broken, like broken, broken, I'm talking mom and dad split, a, a drug addiction. I'm sure there's going to be some of that. And I'm thanking the Lord that he has set us up divinely he predestined that moment that those babies are going to walk in that door and it might be the first time they felt love in a long time it might be the first time they felt safe in a long time and we get to provide that because of who jesus is in us amen amen we're going to finish off that foundation series this morning with discussing the foundation or the foundational belief of eternity now this subject i have been in church my whole life and I know, let's see, when I preached on it, I, pre I did a, a series on it in youth. I've done two series on it before, both in youth ministry. And to this day, they're still the only sermons I've heard preached on them. This is not a subject that is talked about often. Yet, when you're talking to people in the world, you want to strike up a really interesting conversation about the Lord, ask them what happens after they die. Like it is an extremely common question. It is an extremely common situation that we can find ourselves in talking to anybody. You know, I'm going to tell you why. We're going to get in. I, want to, I got a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right into it. But we're going to be discussing two major doctrines of Christianity this morning, heaven and hell. And automatically, some of y'all went, he's talking about hell. Yes, I am. I'm talking about hell this morning because Jesus talked about it a whole lot. And, and actually, in Scripture, nobody talks about hell more than Jesus. And so if the Lord was that concerned to mention it, I feel like I need to as well. Amen? Do me a favor real quick. Go to Ecclesiastes 3.11. I'm going to run through some scripture real quick with you, and then we're going to dive in. Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and also he put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work of the work that God does from beginning to end. Notice it says he put eternity in their hearts. Eternity has been placed in the heart of every person. This is why at some point in every single person's life, they have asked the question, what happens after I die? It is one of the most fundamental human questions that has ever been proposed is what happens after life. And so there are a bunch of different philosophies and a bunch of different theological answers to the question. You know, some, some different branches said there is no life after death. This is all we have. But I feel like anyone who knows anything or anybody who hasn't been indoctrinated knows that there's something more. So the question is not, is there something more? Because all of us know, and the Bible says that eternity has been placed in our hearts. So the question is not, is there something more? But what is there? What is that more? I want to go to Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, 
even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so if you take that verse, those words, everlasting to everlasting, sometimes when you're studying scripture, um, they don't translate word for word. It's a statement or figure of speech almost. And so when you read everlasting to everlasting, the way it's written in scripture, it's almost like it's saying he's from beginning to end and end to beginning. He encompasses all of it. And so he, God, is eternal. God never had a beginning. God didn't just start. Nobody created God. God has always existed, and God exists outside of time. We're the ones that are stuck in time. God is not. And so he is eternal. Now check this out. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. I'm flying through this so we can get to the fun parts. Then God said, let us make man in our image, notice our there, that's the Trinity, and according to our likeness, and let, they have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, of, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I am made in the image and likeness of God. That's what that just said. You are made in the image and likeness of God. But if I'm made in the image and likeness of God, it doesn't just mean that I resemble him in a sense. Now, sin has really jacked up what we look like because I guarantee he don't look like this. But we're made in his image. But when it gets into his likeness, that's his character, that's his nature, that's who he is. And so if I'm made in the image and likeness of God and God is eternal, then there's a part of me that's eternal. There's a part of me that will be around forever. That's my spirit man. There's a part of you that will be around for eternity. So it's not a matter of will you be around for eternity. It's where you'll be around for eternity. That's, it's not a matter of if. It's a matter of where. And again, we believe that the Bible is the final authority. Like I, I run my life through this book. So when it says something, I'll study it. But once I study it and I, I do my best to understand what it's saying, that's it. That's, it's final. And so if it's saying that I'm going to be around for eternity, I want to know where. Right? Like how many of you wanted me to just come pick you up and take you somewhere and not tell you where I'm going? You might not want to know. You, what, what I got to pack? What, 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 what are we going to do when we get there? Like I'm okay with spontaneous vacations. My wife is not. My wife is not the kind of person that if you say, hey, baby, we're going on a trip. Pack a bag. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. What am I supposed to pack? What are we going to do? How do we, no, just pack a bag. She's not that person, right? My wife needs to know what the weather is going to be so she can have the exact appropriate clothing. She wants to know what the adventures are going to be so she can have the exact appropriate clothing. Does she need hiking shoes? Obviously, I needed some hiking shoes. I didn't. That part wasn't planned, you know, or she didn't tell me, or maybe I thought my Adidas were good enough. I don't know, but apparently they were not. So, in the image and likeness of God, I am made. And John 4, 24 says that God is spirit, so I am as well. When we were created, we were created to live in the presence of God for eternity. Adam and Eve were made without sin. They were made perfect, and they were going to dwell in the presence of God for eternity. Then sin comes in and ruins the whole situation. Sin changes everything, and when sin came in, sin brought death. And so now every human being, because of sin, faces death. For the wages of sin is death. So now we have these eternal beings, me, I'm meant to live for eternity, but now my flesh is sentenced to death because of sin. So how do we fix this problem? Because now every human being born is sentenced to death. That's a terrible situation. 
but thank God for his amazing grace. Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Shall have eternal life. I want you to understand that God, the Bible is very precise, and a lot of times we don't catch this. So I want to read John 3.16 real quick. Can you put it up there for me? You got it? Look at, the, look at the last line. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, if the Bible says that you can have everlasting life, what's the other alternative? Everlasting death. See, a lot of times we won't catch that when we're reading it in Scripture. But that's what it's proposing here, is if we believe in Jesus, we get everlasting life. Well, what do we have if we don't? Everlasting death. Right? I can, I can choose not to, to go to physical therapy. I completely have that ability. But if I choose not to go to physical therapy, I probably won't have the greatest need. Because I'm choosing not to do it. It's a choice. People who read the Bible and say we don't have a choice have blinders on and preconceived notions. Because it's verbatim that whoever believes, we have the choice to believe. And so, if we have the choice to believe, they have everlasting life, or... We choose not to believe and get everlasting death. Where are those two options? Again, there are two. The Bible teaches there are two. There's no middle ground. There's no holding place. There was in the Old Testament. Jesus got rid of that when he died on the cross. So that changed. So there are two options. And we're going to get into both of them this morning. Are you with me? <clears throat> you sure? All right. Let, let, let's go for it. I'm excited because I like preaching about these things. I love preaching about things that don't get preached about. Because it's like going to the gym and only working out your left arm. Imagine if I went to the gym and put two years on my left arm. I would have the best looking left arm in the world. But I'd be the most ridiculous looking person on the planet. There's so many churches that are making ridiculous looking Christians. Because all they're doing is preaching on one or two things. And never actually preaching the full counsel of God and the full span of scripture. And that's what I'm trying to do. Is to make sure we're covering all these different bases. So let's go to Luke chapter 16. Verse 19 through 31. And it's a little chunk of scripture here, so bear with me. <clears throat> there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. That's a nice word. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. I'll touch on that in a second. Then the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus, Lazarus in his bosom. <clears throat> then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and may cool my tongue, for I am tormented in, in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us there's this great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That actually, you know, it actually happened. and Most people still don't repent. Verse 31, 
But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I'm not sure where it came from. I'm, I'm sure it's been around forever because the enemy can't create anything new. But hell is a literal place. It's a real, literal place. There's, there's a teaching. I, I mean, I've, I literally had a conversation with someone that long ago about how they don't believe that hell is literal. They believe that hell is a state, uh, uh, a, a state of being or a, a, a culture we create for ourselves by our lives on earth. And, and that's what hell is. Because, I mean, when you look at that person's life, they're living in hell. No, they're not living in hell. They're headed to it. And they're just really, really making sure they dig the hole as deep as possible. And so, they, people will sit there and say this. One of, the other, one of the other big teachings out there right now is how can a loving God send anyone to hell? I'm going to get to that in a minute. But what the enemy has done is the enemy has tried to come and, and paint God as just love. As just and only love. Now, if you read the Bible, it clearly says that God is love, right? And, and if you read through the New Testament, it is everywhere. I spoke Wednesday night in the class I'm teaching on Wednesday night for the life groups. Like, like everything we do as a Christian is love because God is love, and love is the whole deal. But to think that God is only love is to only understand a small portion of who he is. For as much of God, as, as much of a fact as it is that God is love, it is just that much of a fact that God is just. For as just as much of a fact as it is that God is gracious, as just as much of a fact as God is merciful, he's also holy, he's also righteous, and he's also a judge. And we cannot paint a picture or allow a picture to be painted that God is a fuzzy, loving grandfather who does not care what you do, he just wants to give you the Werther's caramel chocolate mints out of his pocket. Like that is not who God is. And the only way that you can come to those conclusions is to read bits and pieces of this, chop some of them out, and create your own version of Christianity. That is not who God is. For example, we call the gospel the good news. Right? Why would we not, if there was no bad news, why couldn't we just call it the news? No, no, no. The gospel's called the good news. Why? Because there's a whole bunch of bad news. That's the only reason why it needs to be called the good news. But we, we skip over this. We, we, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like to deal with it because it causes us to ask some pretty uncomfortable questions too. Like, what about grandma who was, who was not really living for Jesus? See, I, I like to just go there, right? I'm, I don't like to dance around things. I like to just have conversation, right? We just, we just going to talk about it. Right? And that's the fact. But see, what the Bible was sure, and I should have put this in, Lord forgive me. Every single person is presented an opportunity to accept Jesus. Multiple. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 1 says that creation itself speaks of its creator so that we are without an excuse. That's why when you go find a, a tribe of, of natives or an undiscovered people group somewhere in the jungles, that this has been, you read all through history, every time they found another group of people that had never been contacted by the outside world, they all had some supreme deity that created everything. All of them did. Why? Because creation, when you walk outside, and let's just take this for an example. Walk outside and look at an oak tree. A big, beautiful oak tree. 
When you stop and just look at that for a few minutes, your brain on its own will be like, yep, nobody did that. Like a human didn't create that. There's something, there's a beauty attached to creation that is not attached to construction. So he reveals himself to us. So everybody has had an opportunity. But this is the fact is that if whoever believes in him will not perish. So if we don't believe in him, we perish. Let's keep going a little bit. What I want to do is I want to pull from this passage a few things the Bible teaches us about hell. Because I want you to know what it is. We've got to make sure we have understanding of this. And I'll explain why I want you to know all this later on. First thing I want to tell you is that hell is a real place that was created for Satan, the demons, sin, and death. That's all that was ever supposed to be in hell. You and I were not created for hell. But as one theologian put it, we were not created for hell, but because of sin, hell is our default destination. Because of sin, hell is our default destination. See, if you don't preach about hell, you don't realize how great the grace of God is. It's our default destination. And there's nothing I could do to prevent myself from going in that direction on my own. Now, we're going to go back through this verse a little bit and pull out a couple of things. I want to jump to verse 23 and 24. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, really quick, I've got to try to do this fast. hope this don't open a bunch of can of worms. But... Before Jesus died on the cross, righteous people were righteous because they lived according to the law. And when someone lived righteously according to the law, when they died, they didn't go to hell, but they couldn't go to heaven yet. Because their sin had not been paid for yet. So there was a holding place, and the Bible calls it Abraham's bosom. And so people who were righteous under the law went to this holding place, which I'm just going to go here because... Apparently, that's what I'm doing today, which is where the doctrine of purgatory comes from. Abraham's bosom. But what happened was when Jesus died on the cross, those people went from Abraham's bosom to the presence of God in heaven. And Abraham's bosom was dissolved. It doesn't exist anymore. So there is no more holding place. So that's what Abraham's bosom is. So that's where he's saying, I see this far off. But if you look at verse 23... In verse 24, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in the flame. The first thing we can see point blank about hell is that they're in torment. They're in torment. It says they're in torment in the flame. He's literally crying out. I mean, I've been hot before and I hate the heat, right? But I have never cried out for somebody to come dip their finger in water and touch my tongue. Like I want a bottle of water. I, I'm, 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 I'm pretty, like, I want to be cool. He's in such torment that one drop of water represents relief. That's the amount of torment that he's in. Verse 24 says he's in torment in the flames. Everybody's always heard about hell's got fire. It does. Like that, that's not something we made up or the Looney Tunes put when they made the devil and everything in those cartoons. Like it's real. It's there. Now let's look at another thing here. <clears throat> Verse 26 and besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, and those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those pass from there pass to us. There's no escape from hell. Like the Bible says, I believe First Corinthians, that it's appointed unto man a time to die and then the judgment, which means this right now. While you're living, while your heart is pumping and your brain is working, this is where your decision is made. When you stand before God, you can't make a decision any longer. Your decision's already made. 
So there's no escape once you get there. And then the fourth one was, this is, this is real good. It's going to stir up all kinds of stuff. Verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, let them, let them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them and, and from the dead, they will repent. There's no communicating or warning others. Brief little side tangent. If you have ever been involved with a psychic, tarot cards, Ouija boards, anything of the sort, and you have communicated or tried to communicate, y'all might think this is weird. It is not. Okay, it ain't, it ain't this, this random thing. It happens all the time. People have done it all the time. And you've tried to communicate with the dead. This verse of Scripture says there is no communicating with the people. Right? Let me tell you something. If you've had an experience, I've met people, but yeah, I, I, one time I went and I was talking to the, to the psychic and, and they told me something only my grandpa would tell them. So I know my grandpa talked to him. No, boo, your grandpa didn't talk to him. A demon did. You can communicate with the spirit world, but you're not communicating with the person you lost. Because I can promise you, if the person that you lost could talk to you, they would not be telling you about that time you, they took action. They'd be telling you, right now, repent, give your life to Jesus, and run to the cross. That's what they'd be telling you. So when you, when you, the problem is, though, when you open up that door, you're, you're communicating with the dead, but it's not the dead person, it's the dead life. This has become much more common because of the internet. It's become, uh, there's shops popping up all over the place. Come over here and, and mysticism and different types of witchcraft. People get, I'm telling you right now. I remember when I was younger, I walked into, um, it was a bunch of teenagers and I walked in and they had a Ouija board out and they was trying to communicate with somebody who had died. And they were saying it was moving. I said, well, that person ain't moving it. I, I agree with you, it's moving. Because it's real. The spirit world is real. I agree with you. That's something moving that little, I don't even know what it's called, little dial thing on a Ouija board. Something moving it, but it ain't your buddy. And whatever it's telling you is lies to confuse you and keep you from Jesus. So there's no communicating with the dead. Now I want to go to one more, one more passage about hell before we get on to heaven because that's, that's the cool part. We're going to go to everybody's favorite book in the Bible. Go to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Before we, before we read this, I want to point out one really cool piece. Everybody reads over. When we say the book of Revelation, you ever heard somebody say, go to the book of Revelations? You ever heard somebody say it like plural? Notice there's no S on the end of the word, Revelation. It's one Revelation. He wins. That's it. He wins. At the end, he wins. And if you with him, you win. Beautiful. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. This is going to be hard not to go real deep into. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. If you got your Bible, underline that. If you got your phone, underline that line. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Let me just stop. I don't want to stand before God and be judged according to my works. I want to stand before God and be judged according to Jesus' works. So these people are being judged according to their works, and there's the problem. 
everybody who gets to this point, there's a problem. We're going to keep going. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast to the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 12 says, judge according to their works. I don't want to be judged according to my works because my works can't produce salvation. When we don't repent and give our lives to Jesus, we choose sin and reject him and his sacrifice. When we do this, we choose hell. A loving God doesn't send anyone to hell. A loving God sent his only son to die on the cross to provide the only manner of escape from hell. God sends no one to hell. When we reject Jesus, we send ourselves. There's this really, really horrible misunderstanding of who God is when people are saying oh, a loving God wouldn't send somebody to hell. No, he wouldn't send somebody to hell. That's why he let his own son come and die for everybody when his own son did nothing wrong. He sent his son so we wouldn't have to go. But because he loves us enough, he says, I don't, I don't want you to do it because I make you. I want you to do it because you choose me. I want you to do it because you love me. So that's what the whole situation is here. The book of life has the names of all the people who have made Jesus Lord of their life. But see, he doesn't just provide a way out. God didn't just provide a way out of this situation. He just provided a way out of the torment. He also provided a place for those who have believed. So we got hell, and I could do more teaching on it, but I'm not going to jump over to heaven now. Because I would rather you leave filled with hope about what the Father has prepared for you because of your faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. So now we're going to talk about heaven for a little bit. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled that you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? There's, y'all, this, there's so much. The Bible is so cool. Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are two things I want to pull out of this, but first, I want you to notice that he prepared a place. If you went to Shelma Christian Academy, you could quote this, this whole chapter. Well, I think the whole chapter, but a lot of it anyway. Um, but he prepares a place. Now, have you ever been to an all-inclusive resort? You ever been like a, on a cruise or something where like the, the, the customer service is like racked up real high and you walk in and they got stuff in the room? But I remember when I went on my first cruise, I was amazed that every day when I came back in the room, they had a new animal made out of a towel. Like I remember like, how did they make an elephant out of a towel? Like, I wanted to find a way to, to learn how to do that, and then I, I found a book, and the book was 40 bucks, so I didn't buy the book, because making towel animals was not that important to, to my life. But I thought it was amazing that this, and, and I, I remember talking to people like, that was incredible, how'd y'all do that, whatever. So I talked to one of the people, I came back the next day, and I had a zoo in my room. I had like four different towel animals, because I told them that I liked it. And one other time, I went to Jamaica for an all-inclusive all -inclusive resort in Jamaica, which I totally recommend, by the way. It's fantastic. But I went, 
And they had the best virgin pina coladas the world has ever tasted. Like, I, I probably put down 60 of them. It was, they were that good. And what I noticed was the first day I ordered like four of them because I obviously didn't care about any kind of diet or losing weight that week. And so I ordered this pina colada. I ordered like four of them. And the next day I'm coming down. I'm not even in the pool yet. And guess what? Old girl walks up with the pina colada. Every time she passed me, she would say, pina colada? No, thank you. Pina colada? Yeah, I'll take one. She'd bring me a pina colada. Every time. That's why I drank so many, because she just kept bringing them to me the whole time. She was off of work, going home. She had her purse on. And I'm walking out. And she goes, pina colada? I said, you go home. Okay. I remember thinking that that's like a really cool thing, right? She noticed what I liked, and she took the attention and time and detail and made my experience that much greater. This is a woman who's never met me and is getting a paycheck. Can you imagine for a split second the attention to detail the creator who created you has put into the place he's prepared for you? Y'all, my trip was made by free pina coladas. I can't even begin to fathom what he's prepared for me. Because no one knows me like he does. No one knows, he knows me better than I know myself. So you know there's going to be a fridge full of Dr. Pepper and the calories ain't going to count. Because he knows me. I mean, that's not biblical. I'm just throwing that out there. You know, comment card, suggestion card, maybe. I don't know. But he's preparing a place for him. But there's something else I need you to see in this. Go to verse 1. This is why I wanted to preach on heaven this morning. I wanted to end with it. Go to verse John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Okay, if you read that, let not is a very little, it's a, a weird wording for us. We don't say things like, let not. We don't talk that way. But when you really break down what it's saying, it's saying, do not give your heart permission to be troubled. The word let is a word of permission. I let my children go to someone's house. I, I let someone come eat dinner. I, uh, we give permission with the word let. So when it says, let not your heart be troubled, it's saying, do not give your heart permission to be troubled. You gotta understand something. Hear me out. Anxiety and depression do not have authority in your life. They don't. They do not have authority in your life. They can only operate based upon permission. Jesus is saying here, do not give permission your heart to your heart to be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is why he's saying don't be troubled. Look at verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That way, where I am, you may be also what Jesus is saying is the troubles that you're dealing with right now, the stuff that drives you crazy, the stuff that gets you afraid, the stuff that hurts you is temporary, but put your hope in the fact that I'm preparing something for you and I'm coming to get you and bring you to it. 
Don't let yourself get worked up. Don't let yourself get anxious. Don't let yourself get depressed. I know it's going to be difficult, but take your focus off of the situation and put your focus on what's waiting for you. Because I promise you, 1 Corinthians says, for eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor has half, say half, half entered into the hearts and minds of those of the things that God has prepared for those that love him. What that's saying is, is on your best day with your most, your imagination at its largest, you can only come up maybe with half of the stuff he has prepared for you. Half. So don't give your heart permission to be troubled. Put your hope in the fact that he has got you better than anybody else has ever had you. He's got you. You know the confidence, I love this analogy because I, I just love doing it with my kids. And Sam hasn't done it yet. But you know how when your kids, uh, yeah, kind of. You know how your kids, when they go jump in the pool, you got to like buck them up a little bit. Well, some kids you don't. Some kids you got to be careful they don't do it on their own, right? Like, no, you will die. Don't do that. So they go, you, you, but you're in the pool. And you're like, hey, come to daddy. I don't want to do it. Come, to, come. And they eventually they start jumping. I, I remember telling Addison, she was a little scared. I said, daddy's got you. Daddy's got you. Y'all. He's got you. He's got you. And he's got you so much more than you understand him having you. He's preparing a place for you. Let's talk about the place he's preparing. I'm, I'm going to put this list up real quick. You got that, that couple, three points? See, there's a couple of things here. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55, I'm saving some time, says that when, I, when I'm with the Lord in heaven, I got a new body. Right? Everybody ought to say amen right there. And from my understanding, that body doesn't collect calories. Muscles don't get pulled. Nerves don't get pinched. Bones don't get broken. Hairlines don't recede. All, like all of it. Like, like, like that. It's a, it's a perfect body. Some of y'all, we look on Instagram and Facebook, we see people advertising their perfect body. Boo, that ain't your perfect body. That's the best you can do with the one full of sin. Imagine what it looks like when it's a perfect body. The second thing is it gold streets. It, it really does. And that's not just some figment or something we made up to be cute. Revelation 21 says that these streets is made with pure gold. And then third, the third part, I'm just giving you a couple of things. It talks about pearl gates or columns. Like there's, there's 12 columns when you walk into heaven. And the, the column is one solid pearl. It's not like a bunch of pearls thrown together. It's one solid block of pearl. Now, why am I telling you this? I mean, the new body part, because the new body part's just cool. I don't know about you, but I just think that's really cool. But why am I telling you about gold streets and pearl gate? See, God made a statement when he told us these things, because what God wanted you to know is that the most valuable things, the most valuable commodities on earth, it, they're heaven's construction equipment. Like God says, like, I want to show you just how much better what I'm preparing is, then what you know, the most valuable thing on your planet we pave streets with. Think about New Orleans during Mardi Gras, what the streets look like. I can guarantee you if they were golden, they wouldn't be treated that way. But because concrete is, ugh, and it's just expendable, and it's cheap to make mass quantities of, and it's easy, and it's tough, and it's true, we just throw it on the street, we just deal with it. Well, heaven says, eh, we just gotta throw, let's just throw gold. Just solid blocks of gold just make the street. It's letting us know how far superior, how so much greater this place is that he's preparing for you and I than 
what we can even imagine. How we view concrete, heaven views gold. How we view concrete, heaven views gold. Are you with me? I'll read you one more passage and then we're going to close it out. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and also there was no more sea. I want you to understand something. If you died right now or anybody who passes away right now and they're with the Lord, they go and they, they, their life is forgiven, they go to heaven. But I don't... I won't spend eternity in that heaven. It says here, the new heaven and the new earth. Y'all, you got to realize something. At the end of everything, which I ain't got time to get into, the end of everything, after he kicks devil's button, it's over and all, the, all that stuff's done. He's going to recreate earth and heaven. It's going to be established the way the Garden of Eden was. So it's going to be total perfection. And I will live with him for eternity there. I'm not going to sit in a cloud and play a harp for eternity. I'm going to live my life here, there. I personally think, this is not theological, I personally think we're just going to have access to both. We can go up, we can come down, we can do it. It's going to be one world where new heaven and new earth recreates everything again. Now, I just went to Oregon and I saw some beautiful stuff. We didn't get to go see the redwood forest, Northern California, things like that. Have you ever seen the redwood trees? Anybody ever seen those before? Okay, you've seen the redwood trees. They're gorgeous. And you look on the internet, they're just absolutely fantastic. You do realize that Romans 8 says that all creation is under the curse. So that means creation dies too. Trees die, plants die, all this. They won't. Can you imagine a 6,000-year-old tree? Can you imagine a rose bush that has never died? Can you imagine the beauty of a, of a place with no death? That's what we're talking about here. That's, what, that's the hope that is set before us. I want to keep reading. Verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's the place he prepared for us. It's coming down. Verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The house of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Here, he, here it is. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words. Right, for these words are true and faithful. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. There's no more death, for the former things have all passed away. This is what he's prepared I don't know if this hits you like it hits me. But dying for me and wiping away my sin was enough. He didn't have to do all this. Like, you ever, you ever had somebody give you a gift and then they gave you another gift and it was a bigger gift and it was like a big to-do and you're like, you didn't have to do all of that. 
That's what heaven is. Jesus, you didn't have to do all of this. You didn't, have, you didn't have to do what you did. I didn't deserve it, but I didn't deserve that and all of this. Are you, are you kidding me? But you see, the, the best part of heaven is also the worst part of hell. The best part of heaven is that it says there that the tabernacle, the tabernacle of God is with men. The home of God is with men, and he will be their God, and they shall be his people, and he will dwell with them. The best part of heaven is that I get to be with him. The worst part of hell is that I do not. And see, wherever Jesus is, there's hope, there's peace, there's joy, there's provision, there's safety, there's protection. So everything that the Bible says is in heaven, the opposite is in hell. So I don't get a new body. I get a body that dies for eternity. Imagine those body aches. Imagine the pain and the suffering that happens. There's an old song that I'm I'm not going to sing because it'll take too much time. But the second verse... I'll just sing the second verse. I'll be, I'll be fast. Go to one. There is no sorrow there. No more burdens to bear. No more sickness. No more death and pain. And no more parting over there. It's the light. And forever I will be with the one what a day, glorious day that will be. And what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand. And leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that the, 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 the glory of the moment is that I get to be with Jesus. That's the glory of the moment is I get to be with him. All that heaven offers is land gap because I get to be with him. My favorite line of that song is that forever I will be with the one who died for me. I don't deserve that. I did nothing to earn that, but he gave it to me anyway. Because I put my faith in him. But here's the deal. If you keep reading in Revelation 21, I'm going to be quick. Put up verse, can you go to verse 6 through 8? I mean, I'm not giving that to you. verse 6 through 8 and he said to me it is done I am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end and I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts and he who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God 
and he shall be my son. He's going to freely give the water of life. He's going to freely give eternal life to anyone who comes. Anyone who comes. Anyone who comes. Anyone who comes. He gives it freely. But, you don't have verse 8. I'm reading it. It's fine. But, listen to this. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, which is the second death. Here's the, here's the deal. We can live for eternity, or we can die for eternity. I heard one old preacher say, a man can live twice and die once or live once and die twice. I can live and be born again and live for eternity and only die once where death has no sting. I won't, I won't feel that. I won't feel that pain. Or I can reject Jesus. I can live once. I can die at the end of my life and I can die for the rest of eternity. That's up to me. But I put my faith and my hope in Jesus. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It don't always make sense to me. But I put my faith in Jesus. Would you bow your heads this morning?